Welcome to the Messy Antics Podcast, a podcast about all things Messianic Judaism. Each episode, we will be sharing our opinions as we tackle some of the biggest issues in Messianic Judaism. Now, here's your hosts, Rabbis Eric, David, Jonathan, and Toby. Hey guys, thanks for joining us for another episode of the Messy Antics Podcast. Uh, and unfortunately, we have another episode where Rabbi Jonathan is not with us. So it is Rabbi Eric, Rabbi Toby, and myself, Rabbi David, that you are listening to today. And we've got a bit of a different conversation. Uh, um, and I know, you know, this may catch some flack from people. I don't know, but I'm a big, um, uh, Wizard of Oz fan. And, uh, there's a book that's like, uh, the, the, supposed to be the background story of uh, the Wicked Witch of the West and how she became the Wicked Witch of the West and what have you. And so uh, it's called it's called Wicked is the name of the book, Wicked, the Life and Times of the Wicked Witch of the West. Um, and I've read it years ago, thought it was a really enjoyable book. There's some stuff in it that's not great, but a really enjoyable book overall. I'm not recommending you go necessarily read it, but my wife and I were listening to the audiobook version of it. Um, and, uh, over a couple of road trips and, um, this quote came up towards the end of the book that like grabbed my wife's attention and she goes, did you just hear that? I'm like, I, I don't, I don't, I'm not sure. I, I mean, I did, but I'm not sure if I caught what you caught. So we went back a few bumps back on the 30 second back, 15 second back, whatever it was till we found it. And, uh, you have uh, Elfie, who is becoming the Wicked Witch of the West, goes to visit her father, who she's been estranged from. Her father was like this uber-religious, whatever, like zealot kind of person. She goes to visit her father, um, and he's older, and, and he's blind, and he's going deaf, and he's got a bunch of health issues and whatever. And so uh, it says, for the first time, she saw in him uh, saw him as feckless. Um, and then it continues on. It says, constantly pawing at the edge of events, reacting instead of acting. Mourning the past and praying for the future instead of stirring up the present. And when we heard that, uh, that quote, I actually went to the, the, the Kindle version of the book real fast and like found the quote real and, and pulled it out and, and made a graphic of it to share with a couple of people. But when we heard that quote instantly, it just kind of was this gut check. Um, because these words, though it's in this fictional novel about, you know, the Wizard of Oz storyline and whatever, um, the reality is that quote, constantly pawing on the edge of events, reacting instead of acting, mourning the past and praying for the future, instead of stirring up the present, struck us as something that, having grown up in the Messianic Jewish movement, it, it's a very apt statement to where a lot of the Messianic Jewish movement kind of finds itself today. Um, you know, we hear constantly people talk about we want to see a, a new generation of Messianic rabbis and, and congregational planters and so on and so forth come up. We want to see, you know, we, we've got all these high, strong hopes for the future, but at the same time, we're so hyper fixated and focused on the past and the Jesus movement that birthed out the modern Messianic Jewish movement and all of these kinds of things. And, you know, depending on, on what swing of the pendulum you're on and some uh, parts of Messianic Judaism, it's super charismatic and super Pentecostal leaning and in other parts, super Jewish tradition leaning, and and the pendulum kind of goes back and forth, and uh, and and this idea of especially the 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 reacting instead of acting, mourning the past and praying for the future instead of stirring up the present made us wonder what impact could the Messianic Jewish movement truly have for the kingdom of Messiah if we stopped focusing on past and future with all of our energy and instead focused on what God has right, laying right before us in the present and we started truly working towards expanding the kingdom of Messiah here and now for preparation for what God has in store in the future of the Messianic Jewish movement? What if we walked in lockstep with what God was doing now and allowed God to worry about the future and we rejoiced in the past? Like We're not mourning that the revival that spawned Messianic Jew Judaism isn't uh, as in, the, in the same way that it was. It's not still moving the same way that it was or whatever. Instead, we recognize and I love this, um, Petra Scott from the Road to Jerusalem makes a statement, and, and I love to steal it from her, but she said, you know, uh, we look at revival, and we're constantly praying for a new revival, a new outpouring, a new this, a new that. She goes, but the reality is, is revival isn't something new. Revival is a reviving of something that already is. And I always say that there's only ever been one revival. Right, it realistically began in Acts two with the outpouring of the Ruach Hakodesh, the Holy Spirit, and it hasn't stopped. Right, and 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 if we're actively in 
the revival, that's great. But if we're not experiencing it, it's not because it's not happening. It's not because it's not, it's because we're not chasing it. We're not in it. We're not active in it. We're not pressing into it. And so, uh, we heard this quote and instantly our hearts kind of broke for where we see the state of the Messianic Jewish movement at today. Not that it's a failure, not that it's, but there's a lot of improvement that's still needed. There's a lot of things that we've kind of let fall to the wayside, especially now we're watching so many of the rabbis that we grew up under in the movement that are either having severe medical issues that are realizing that they're at the tail end of their, their life or are stepping into a yearning for retirement uh, but don't have anybody to step in to take their congregations over, some of whom are just retiring and leaving their congregations with no leader because they don't have any other option and they feel like it's time for them to do so, um, and, and so on and so forth. And like, how did we get to a point that we took this thing that we have curated and cared for for 40, 50, 60 plus years now, and now a full generation and change later, we find ourselves in a position where this thing that we've curated has no means of continuing if we don't make serious and dramatic changes now. Um, and so I just wanted to throw that out there. It's, it's a really curious statement. It's something that really struck us and kind of to the core, if you would, and, and, and kind of made us want to reevaluate things and how do we move forward as a movement? How does our congregation move forward to, to kind of lead the way in that, uh, rather than just waiting for everybody else to, to get there with us? How do we just, press into that reality uh, of stirring the present rather than mourning the past or uh, 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 praying for the future. How do we press into that reality now in the tangible present? How do we make this come about? So I just want to throw that out there and kind of let the conversation go where it goes from there. I think that part of the thing that we need to recognize is that I think that all of us believe that the Messianic Jewish movement is a prophetic movement. Not, Not just that it's the fulfillment of a prophecy that was given in the past, but that it is a movement that is fulfilling prophecy and should mm-hmm. be prophetic now. That that when the scripture talks about it in Joel, that your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your old men dream dreams, young see visions, that that's a reality that should be embraced by our community now. The problem is that for some in our community, the prophecies that our fathers or grandfathers gave uh, are what everybody's holding on to rather than continuing prophetic words now. And there's a danger in that. We forget that when the prophets of old were prophesying, it wasn't as if Isaiah was prophesying and then when he died, the next prophet stepped up and then he prophesied. But there were hundreds of prophets that were prophesying at the same time that God was speaking through prophetically at the same time. Now, we only have the books of some of them, but we know that there was prophets, you know, that, that were held in, you know, especially in the time where we see with Jezebel and Ahab, there was a whole bunch of prophets that were saved in caves that were there that were all recognized as prophets at the same time when Elijah was prophesying. And and so the danger we have is that we look to specific individuals as if they're the only prophets in our movement, and until they die or quit, that there shouldn't be another prophecy, there shouldn't be something else that happens. And when we talk about birthing the Messianic movement, we don't think of it in terms of that the Messianic movement was birthed by God, not by men, and that just like a child goes from being in a, in a nursery to being in a crib to being in a bed to being in a larger bed to going on, our movement needs to grow and mature as it goes. We can't live solely on the prophecy that came forth in the in the early 1900s and then in the early 1960s and, and so on. But we have to be walking in the prophetic word that's being given now for our movement as we mature to become what God wants us to be. And when Moses turned over Israel to Joshua... Moses didn't get upset as if, you know, they're going to change everything, that nothing's going to... By essence, growth requires change. And Moses, Joshua served for 40 years as Moses' right-hand man, and never once did Moses fear that Joshua was just in the game to steal his pulpit. Just throwing that out there. Well, yeah, and also when Moses commissioned Joshua, he told Joshua that as the Lord has been with me, hmm. he'll be with you. 
which means that Moses didn't gatekeep a relationship with God. He didn't say, God and I, we're tight. You're going to get some of that, but not what I had. He said, as God has been with me, he'll be with you. And Elijah's prayer for Elisha. That he would get a double, double portion. Not, yeah, not that he'd have less or that he would just walk out his prophecy. All right. And Elijah, yeah, uh, when Elisha said, he, he asked for a double portion. Yeah. And Elijah didn't go, uh-uh-uh. Oh, no, 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 no. I'm, I'm Elijah. I'm, I'm too important to God for God to... And I actually heard it said by a Messianic leader to a group of people who had come forward to pray. Uh, because let me tell you something. I mean... Uh, people are hungry for the Lord, you know. People who love God are hungry for God, and when they have an opportunity to receive something from Him, but we were at a thing, and doesn't, I'm not going to say what it was or who it was, but we were at a thing, and a Messianic leader said, if you remember, and he used Elijah and Elisha as the story, and if you don't know the story, Elijah anoints Elisha and, and gives him a double portion of his anointing, and he says, we want to do something like that. You're not going to get all of it. He goes, you're going to get some of it. And I'm like, what in the world did you just say, dude? Like, what? Like, so I look at it as every big problem. It doesn't matter what the situation is, but we're looking at the Messianic movement. Every big problem can get traced back to some kind of fleshly, petty thing, you know? And and to use another show as an example, you know, Dave was talking about Wicked, but uh, uh, Breaking Bad is a show that my wife and I watched uh, years ago. I've only watched it one time. Like, I don't have the emotional capacity to watch it ever again, but I watched it once. And uh, all it, it's this huge story, but towards the end of it, um, the main guy, his his wife's talking to him, and she goes, why did you do all this? And he said, I liked it. And it's kind of simple, but it's kind of a terrifying statement. But there was no reason. There was no great thing. He just said, no, I liked it. And I think when it comes down to, because let's face it, what are we talking about? We're talking about uh, older generational leaders uh, resisting and shuffling their feet when it comes to passing a baton. And uh, I think the reason why they don't do it goes back to simply they like it. They just like doing what they're doing. And here's the thing. I get that because there's nothing. The flesh loves to be stroked. The flesh loves to be recognized. The flesh loves to be visible. I mean, these are all things that, and here's the thing. I think these guys that I look up to and appreciate what they've done and what they've built and the trails that they've blazed through the power of God, I, I respect that tremendously. I revere that. Um, when I was on the, it's, it's like a, on the rabbi's forum, I never sent one email on that rabbi's forum. And there's a reason why, because I believe that God gives you two ears and one mouth for a reason. You listen twice as much as you speak. I'm not going to get on there and be some young hot shot. So they don't have to work. These guys don't have to worry about making me understand my place. Um, so I don't say very much. And when I've been in exec meetings before and things for different, for different organizations and, and, and I don't say very much now. I'm not saying that that's right. Uh, but, but and the reason why is because I want to listen twice as much as I speak. But what I'm saying is, is that I think getting back to what I was saying, I think that that, and I, I love what they've built and what they've done, what the Lord's done through them. But I think that there is a resistance simply because they love it and they like, they still like doing it. And I think, and this is what I said before we hit record, I said, it's, it's. do I believe these guys love God? Absolutely. Are they out to do something bad? No. I think they love God very much. But there's a difference between loving the things of God so much you gatekeep them, or you love the things of God so much you share them. And if you love God and understand who he is and understand the things of God as what they are and what, they're, and what they do to a person, then you, you should love them enough to share them instead of saying, well, we'll talk about that. Well, hold on. Here's, hold on. Here. Here's this. Uh, not, you can't have this yet. Here's this. Not, not, not this. And I think that it all goes back to that. It's, it's a, it's a, it's, it goes back to, I hate to say this, 
petty, fleshly, gatekeeping stuff. I want to do it. I've always done it. I'm going to keep doing it. And I like it, and I love doing it. So any chance I get to do it, I'm going to do it. But what about other people that want to learn? Well, if they want to learn, they can come talk to me, and we'll sit. No. it's it, The things of God aren't as per request as needed. It's it's who come, it, it's who If you're hungry, come eat. If you're thirsty, come drink. And I think that that's the problem, and that's what I run into all the time. You, you know, uh, to that to that reality, <clears throat> we were just at uh, MJ Southeast Regional, and uh, and again, not <laughs> not to pick on any particular person, but there was a rabbi there that was speaking, and uh, and it was on Saturday morning. They had the you know the Torah service, and all the young people were at the uh, up on stage and were involved in the service and all this. And at the end of the service, the the rabbi has all of the young people come towards the edge of the stage and. You know, and basically said something, and I'm paraphrasing it from memory, but basically said something along the lines of, we've been playing, praying for a future forever, and now the future is here. And it was because all of these young people were up on stage. and, and I, as somebody, It's the same kids every year. Correct. But uh, ignoring that, like I'm not even going into the fact Should, that, must be said. that several of them were the rabbi's kids, but that's a whole other story. Um, the, the reality is, as somebody that's grown up in the Messianic Jewish movement, as somebody that has been actively involved in congregational leadership in the Messianic Jewish movement for 20-plus years, uh, who has been an ordained rabbi in the IMCS for uh, almost 13 years now, who has literally grown up and, and strove and fought and worked under some of the best rabbis in the movement uh, to learn how to, as, as you were saying with the rabbis, from, like sit back, listen, and glean. Take what I can take. Uh, and learn from what they've done, the good, the bad, the ugly, the, 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 the things that were successful, the things that were, were mistakes, etc. Um, learn from it, take it, consume it so that I can then uh, model what God has done through them in, in my ministry and my congregation and so on. As somebody who was for a very long time, thankfully there's one younger than me now, but for a very long time I was the youngest rabbi in the IMCS. Uh, for three years, it was very awkward, but I was the youngest rabbi in the IMCS for years. Um, as, as a young rabbi who has been in this for, for decades, um, and knows a number of other young leaders, young rabbis and such in the movement that have also been right there with me. And, and, and some have gone, uh, been a few years ahead of me, some a few years behind me, but have been in the mix with me for all these years to be completely ignored for, decades where short of a handful of people that are in ministry in the messianic movement today my generation that i grew up with in the messianic jewish movement virtually doesn't exist anymore we're not here they've all left and gone to churches or some have walked away from faith altogether and so on and so forth and a big reason is because nobody gave them a fair shake nobody gave them a chance nobody sewed into them to raise them up and when they did get into a place where they felt like maybe there was a calling and they maybe wanted to step into this the 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 rabbis that they served under got uptight and and very literally said things like well you know you're not pulling this pulpit away from me. you're just trying to get my pulpit you're just trying to take my job i've heard rabbis stand up on stage at and and it broke my heart because this occurred at a rabbi's conference that had the highest percentage of younger people there like under 40 that were at ever to attend one of these that were at this conference and one of the rabbis got up and said in essence you can take my you can take my pulpit from me out of my cold dead hands i'm going to die behind the pulpit i'm going to you know the said the old joke i'm going to preach my my funeral and then climb in the casket and make him close it up um you know the the there was another rabbi that got up and said uh you know i'm speaking to the 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 older leaders in the room that are in your 60s 70s 80s and and beyond i want you to know that god is not done with you you're Best is still ahead of you. If you're in your 60s, 70s, and 80s, your best isn't behind you. It's still ahead of you. And I'm not disagreeing with that statement. I'm not saying that God doesn't still have something for the 60, 70, 80 plus crowd in the, in, in the Messianic Jewish rabbinate. I think there is a, a value there. I think there's, it's important there. But one of the things I've tried to impress on people is when we look at the priesthood in the Torah, right? The priesthood served from 30 to 50. They spent their entire life till they turned 30 learning how to be a priest, and then they served in the priesthood in the temple from 30 to 50. They didn't like fade away into the dust after they turned 50 and couldn't serve anymore, uh, or after they turned 51 and couldn't serve anymore. Instead, they started training up the next generation. 
right? They sowed everything that they had learned across the years, everything they experienced in their ministry. They then turned around in ministry and started sowing into the next generation of priests. And we don't have a movement that has taken the time to take the uh, uh, older rabbis and, and invest their energy and what they've learned and what they've experienced into sowing into the next generation. And so as a younger rabbi who has literally been there in all of this stuff for decades, to hear a rabbi stand up with a bunch of 20-somethings on the stage and go, our future that we've been praying for has finally arrived. I'm sitting there, for lack of a better way of wording it, I'm sitting there completely insulted because me and my generation, the, the few of us that are still here, are looking at it going, we've been here the whole time. That's our future, not yours. Your future has been here the whole time and you've ignored us and you've never given us a shot. And every time we felt a calling, like, not that it's the only reason, like we planted Congregation Mannheim because it's something God put on our heart, but a big part of why we planted it was because I already knew through experience, nobody wanted me to take over their congregation because nobody wants to give up that throne. Nobody wants to give up that position, that power, that authority. Nobody wants to walk away from it. Um, and, and, and nobody wants to afford somebody younger to come in, right? I mean, I've been through it. I interviewed with a congregation that, that wanted a younger <laughs> rabbi. And then when I came in and they thought I was the right fit and then went, Oh, maybe this isn't what we want. And I served in a congregation that brought me in to be the, to, to, to take over as this, as the senior rabbi, come in as associate, take over as the senior rabbi. And then uh, that didn't pan out because it, you know, what the the senior rabbi thought he wanted uh, and and what I represented um, was scary or wasn't they weren't ready for or whatever and and that didn't pan out and so we started CMC and a big part of it not the only part of it but a big part of it was because we kept hearing as younger leaders in the movement you can take my pulpit from my cold dead hands all you younger people all you want to do is take our position you just want to take our kind it's like I don't want that. I don't want to take anything from you. I want to learn from you. I want to learn from your experience. I want to learn how not to fail in the same ways you failed. I don't mind making my own mistakes, but for the love of God, we've been at this for a very long time. Can we not keep making the same mistakes over and over again? Can, you know, the, I've watched that I served with my dad for a number of years. I helped him plant uh, all of the congregations that we've started along the Gulf Coast over the years. And um, I, there's a lot that I've taken away from watching him serve in ministry that I have gone, you know what? He recognizes this was a, a, a mistake, a failure, and I'm not going to recreate that same mistake. I'm going to learn from what he failed at. I don't mind making my own mistakes, but I don't need to keep reinventing the wheel or, or circling the drain the same way over and over again. I worked with David Rosenberg and Matt Rosenberg at Shuvius Rael in Long Island for five years. Same thing. I learned a lot of really great things to do, a lot of things that worked really well, but I also learned a lot of really great things through experience with them on what doesn't work, on, on what were mistakes and shouldn't have been done and, and how we could do things differently and so on. Um, but you know, the, the reality is, is to have a bunch of 20 somethings in 2023 on stage and say, our future is finally here while ignoring the last 40 plus years of young people that have wanted to serve alongside you or, or, or saying all we wanted to do was rob everything from you or whatever else. Like that was such a deep stab in the heart for somebody that's stuck at it for all this time. And I've gone through some stuff in the past couple of months that that didn't help the situation any. Like the the, the way that some leaders in the movement have kind of pushed me aside for different reasons. And and unfortunately, as a byproduct, Rabbi Toby, because he's my assistant rabbi, uh, get, you know, has gotten pushed aside. Like to have somebody stand on stage and make that statement that that I've like physically actively served with for uh, the better part of 20 years to make that statement and just completely ignore uh, the 30 somethings, 40 somethings and, 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 and such generations that have grown up in this and have been active this whole time like that, that legitimately hurt that that was heartbreaking to, to see the thing that we've been afraid of for so long to hear somebody say the quiet thing out loud, I think is what was the, the hardest part. And uh, I think that, you know, the, this quote from Wicked, like, uh, started this whole thing, but I think that that just ties right into that whole idea uh, of of uh, mourning the past, praying for the future instead of stirring up the present. Where have been the people stirring up the present for the last 20, 30, 40 years? Like, why have we not been doing that? Why are we just now looking at people standing up and wanting to participate in leadership and, and get involved in ministry? And we're now going, oh, it's finally come. 
It's been here. Why have we not been doing this all along? Why have we not been sewing into this all along? Um, and uh, now that I threw all that out there, I'm going to throw Rabbi Eric under the bus as the uh, sole representation of that generation of Messianic rabbis and say, hey, <laughs> what you going to do? Um, but <laughs> well, I was just sitting here thinking about this, and I really am the representative of the, uh, the 60 and above crowd. Um, but I tell you what we're doing, and, and that's all I can do yeah, yeah, is, yeah. is I, I, there's, there's some, some things that we, we need to be real about. And one is uh, I have hired an assistant, mm-hmm. and we are in a plan. Now, how long that plan is depends on God's will and his direction. We, we haven't assigned that X amount of years this is happening. But there's, it's definitely known by my congregation, by Rabbi Jonathan, that there is going to be, and we're in a transition phase uh, as things go. Uh, but there's, there's other things that I want to say that some of this is a result of, and we did an episode on, on denomination versus fellowship. The whole series, yeah. And the whole series. And one of the problems in the Messianic... we've still got one more in the pocket yeah. we want to cover on that, too. Yeah, one of the problems with the Messianic Jewish movement is our fear of organization and denominationalism to the point where most Messianic synagogues are 50 members or less. Uh, it's just the truth. And that goes for all congregations across the, the country. And so there's, there's a few congregations that are larger, but most are smaller. So you have a Messianic rabbi who's leading a congregation of 50 or 40 or 30 or maybe 60 people. And so for him to step down and to hire somebody economically is a real issue. And for somebody who's 60 years old and is leading a Messianic congregation or 65 or 70, who's turning over his congregation to someone else, he loses his paycheck. And Messianic congregations don't pay that well to begin with for most congregations that it's a real, how am I going to survive thing that they're dealing with also. So, so I want to be, I want us to be honest about the fact that if we were more denominational where we had retirement plans, where we had things going on, that transitioning for senior leaders would be easier because there would be a mechanism for survival when they hand the baton off to the next generation. So some of it is just I can't afford to not do this because I have to eat next week and next month and next year. So so that is a real part of it that could be fixed if, and I'm not saying we have to go denominational, but if we had a real viable um, group um, retirement program within our organizations, not just a separate like uh, 5013 or 403B 403B or whatever that you invest in, but something that we combined our resources uh, to do, I think that would be helpful. Uh, I think that having a a more uh, a less this is my sheep mentality. I mean, when when we hired Rabbi Jonathan, he was a good solid member of another congregation who willingly said, "Yes, we're going to let him." go. We're going to free him. We're going to give him liberty to walk out his calling. There are a lot of rabbis who the only person in their congregation that could be an assistant rabbi is the guy they're depending on, but they can't afford to pay him, and they're not going to release the congregation because they can't afford it. So we're just trying to hold on to this guy until I die, and then hopefully he'll take up the mantle at that point. There, there's There's some realistic issues that go on here that we need to to be honest about that we as an organization we as as a con- as a community need to invest in younger leaders uh, the congregation and and the union is working on this the IMCS has some that they're doing in this manner where they're investing in um, internships uh, the uh, Jewish voice has invested in this to raise up leaders, to help them to to guide in. But the real, re, reality is if we were to be able to subsidize some of these younger leaders in full-time positions, you not not pay all of it. So to, if, if, if we could, it'd be great to do that. But to subsidize so that these smaller congregations can have a valid 
uh, method of continuance and financial uh, going. So, so some of it is definitely what I call prophet syndrome, which is God gives you a prophecy and you prophesy that prophecy and, and it comes, you know, excitement builds, everything goes along, everything, the congregation's growing, you're doing all that, but, but that was your prophecy. And now that prophecy has run its course and prophecy comes as God wills, not as we will. And the next prophet is supposed to step up and take his course, but you're, you're in the accolades, you're in that place, you are the leader, you are, and now, so you make up a prophecy so that you can continue on in that role. So some of it is prophet syndrome, some of it is economics, and it's failure on our part as a a community to plan. Mm -hmm. Uh, Some of it is not having in place, for instance, and we've said this before, every major religious movement within 50 years had their own uh, seminary seminary set up to to establish, to lead uh, people. Um, I remember I wanted to start a yeshiva, an actual full-time yeshiva years ago when we started to put things in place. And I asked rabbis about, would you know, would you encourage your people? And they say, well, what can you teach them that I can't? You know, that kind of a thing that, that goes on. So there, there's some, some uh, ownership of flocks. Instead of understanding that God's the, the shepherd and we're the under-shepherds, we're working for him, but it's his flock, and we're, our flocks are feeding in different pastures, but they all belong to him, not to us. But there's that, that you, you can't have my sheep syndrome. Those things are real, and, and all of these things together make for a, a weakness in passing along to the next generation. So what's happened is... As you said earlier, many of those who began the Messianic movement, the modern Messianic movement, are now in their late 60s, 70s, and some in their 80s, and there hasn't been a plan for passing them off, and and there's not, because they skipped the Isaac generation, they're looking to the Jacob generation to take over, but there hasn't been, the Jacob generation hasn't been trained by the Isaac generation to take over, and they've skipped a whole generation in the process. And so to answer your question in a long statement, which this has been a long statement, um, all I can do is try to do it right myself, which yeah. is what we're trying to do. Yeah. And that's we brought somebody in who was in his 20s uh, with a wonderful wife, with a calling, with a gifting, and we're... Uh, uh, allowing him to exercise his spiritual gifts. Uh, and when I say allowing, it's not allowing in the way of monitoring in, in like he can only do these things, uh, but to mentor, to raise up, to train, and to let him exercise, let him use the gifts that God gave him. And my goal is to, as God tells me, uh, totally transition to where he starts doing my role, and then I start doing his role, and then I assist him until I die, which I hope is a long time from now, to raise up the person that's going to take his place, to start looking for someone, because now he'll be in his 30s uh, or in that area. So I want to find somebody who's in their 20s that we can start training and raising up so that when he's 55 or 60, he can process that way should the Lord uh, wait to return until yeah. that comes. But all I can do is try to be an example yeah. of doing uh, doing it right, and, and so we're hoping that the process goes well. Yeah, yeah. And and what, so I jokingly said we're going to throw you under the bus to answer for everybody. Uh, no, that, but the, and, and this is, goes back to what I was saying that, you know, I've been, I've been uniquely blessed in being able to serve under so many different rabbis um, in numerous states, and uh, and and to learn. You know, they all did things differently. The congregations had different approaches, um, but I got to learn a lot from all of them. And what CMC is today is kind of a culmination of that. And because of the fact that growing up, you did not see a lot of the opportunities that uh, I wished were there to be able to participate in that. You know, like I went to Nia College for their Messianic Studies program, and unfortunately I was the only student to ever matriculate through it, primarily because most of the rabbis in the movement were scared to death to send their kids to a Christian college 
because they were afraid that they were going to get tainted at the Christian college, for lack of a better way of wording that. That's, that's my perspective on it, but for lack of a better way of wording it. Um, and so, you know, there was this great, like, uh, rebuttal against it. Like, nobody wanted to participate, and now it's gone. But it paved the way for a bunch of other schools, uh, a bunch of other Christian colleges and seminaries that have developed very uh, uh, solid Messianic Studies programs that a lot of younger people are now participating in and so on. It paved the way for that. So in some ways, I like to pretend that I was a part of paving that way. Um, but nonetheless, uh, because of the people that I've gotten to serve under, the rabbis I've gotten to serve under over the years, CMC is what it is. It's it's like a conglomeration of all of the experience, all of the lessons I've learned, all of the things I've seen good and bad uh, come together as, as one thing. Um, and because of all of the areas that I feel like our movement has failed my generation and the generations behind me in terms of legitimately fostering calling, mentoring calling, and and raising up a future of rabbis. Um, it, it happened. It happened that it wasn't anything we were necessarily out for because at the moment we didn't have the financial ability. Our congregation was only like 10 or 11 years old. We didn't have the financial ability to bring in an assistant rabbi, but God orchestrated things in such a phenomenal way that we were able to bring Rabbi Toby in as the assistant rabbi. And our, uh, and for those that don't know, like I learned through research and, and talking with other people, the, the value of the difference between the terminology of assistant and associate when it comes to a rabbi or pastor, right? Um, I, I was brought into the congregation that I was at in Georgia as the associate rabbi because I had experience in the assistant level over the years in different congregations. Uh, so the, the difference between an assistant rabbi and associate rabbi is an associate rabbi is ready to be a senior rabbi the next day. Like they, if something happened to the senior rabbi or if the senior rabbi felt God calling him something, the associate rabbi could step in immediately, take the congregation over and they wouldn't miss a beat. An assistant rabbi or an assistant pastor, same with associate rabbi or pastor, an assistant rabbi is they're, they're being mentored and trained to the associate position. They're being mentored and trained to either be in a position to take that congregation over someday or that that congregation could then send them, now that they're an associate, send them out to start another congregation, right? And, and to be able to send them out to become the senior rabbi starting a new congregation or send them out to take over another congregation that is in need of a new senior rabbi. Um, and so God blessed us to be able to bring Rabbi Toby in as an assistant rabbi and our goal is to build him up to an associate rabbi and then one day either God will send him out somewhere to start another work or he will take over CMC and Danielle and I will move into another work or, or what have you. But either way it goes, um, it wasn't an intentional thing at this moment. It was something we desired to do at some point was to bring in an assistant rabbi. But uh, at, at the moment that it happened, it wasn't an intentional thing. It was a God-ordained thing that we had the opportunity to as a now 40-something, I'm 41, as a now 40-something-year-old rabbi, I've been able to uh, to to kind of start to pave a new direction for the movement and do some of the things that were not really uh, uh, available for younger leaders at the time when I was growing up. And my hope is, and this God's got distant plans, and that's awesome, my hope for where we're going as a congregation is for Rabbi Toby to migrate into the associate rabbi role, uh, for us to be kind of 50-50 on duties, and for us to bring in a new assistant rabbi, a younger assistant rabbi, and train him up. And then either he can be able to be sent out or or raised up or what have you, um, and just keep cycling that, because that's how we build new rabbis, to go and take over congregations with dying uh, or, or retiring rabbis, or to go out and start new congregations because lo and behold, there's a lot of areas with a lot of Jewish people and a lot of Gentile people that need to meet the Jewish Messiah that need Messianic Jewish congregations. Right. As a matter of fact, Chabad is like my go-to example of where we should or shouldn't be um, in a lot of ways. And the only state in the U.S. that doesn't have a Chabad presence is South Dakota. So South Dakota is the only state in the U.S. that the, the, the Chabad Lubavitcher movement goes, eh, there's not enough Jews there for us to worry about. Um, and, and I have rabbis that always, you're in Alabama. Why are you in Alabama? Are there even enough Jews in Alabama? It's like, is how few Jews is too few to care about their salvation? How few Gentiles who have a yearning for the Jewish Messiah is too few to care about? Like, the reality is that we need to be where God calls us and plants us. And I truly believe that Messianic Judaism should be like Baptist churches and, and Methodist churches, there should be one on every street corner. Like we can, our, our area, uh, Baldwin County only has about five to 8,000 Jewish people. I truly believe Baldwin County could easily, 
uh, have a Messianic Jewish synagogue in each major community in Baldwin County. And we wouldn't have to compete with each other. Instead, we could support each other and uplift each other and build each other up and grow together for God's purposes. Right. The same in Mobile County and the same in Escambia uh, County here in Pensacola and so on. Like, the, it's not a competition. It's kingdom, right? If, if we got 15, 20, 30 people driving from Fairhope to Daphne, uh, that's 15, 20 people driving farther than they need to because there's a ready-made congregation there. Let's raise somebody up and plant them there to start a congregation and work together, support each other. Rabbi Toby? Um, no, I just was, um, uh, what Rabbi Eric was saying, um, with, with Jonathan and stuff. And, um, I, I think it's, uh, very important for the congregation to see the senior leader raise someone up. It's, it, it can't just be something that, uh, you're doing behind the scenes. Um, like, you know, Joshua was raised up publicly, you know, by Moses, um, uh, you know, David made it very clear, you know, of course it was a kingship, but still David made it very clear who his successor would be. And uh, these were all done publicly. And the reason why it's done publicly is because it lends credence to the new leader. You know, the, 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 the people are seeing it. Uh, I can't tell you uh, how harmful it is to your own community um, to be a senior leader and not prepare and not pour into and empower other leaders around you in the congregation. I've seen what it does. I mean, I've seen with my own eyes what it does. Um, I was at a congregation for a number of years, and I would notice, because I was the worship leader, I would notice that when the senior rabbi went out of town, um, he would rarely get people to speak. Sometimes he would, sometimes he wouldn't. But most of the time, he would come up to me and say, hey, I just want you to play extended praise and worship. Just extend your praise and worship to the length of the service. Well, for one, that's exhausting for me and my wife, but that's beside the point. The worst part was getting up on stage, preparing service, and I was also the cantor, so I was doing liturgy, and watching people arrive and realize that the rabbi wasn't there and grabbing their stuff and leaving. And I told him about this, and his response was, well, what can I say? They love me. What I would have loved to have said, and I didn't, but what I'm thinking is, um, you're looking at a red flag that is communicate. You should see that as a red flag that should communicate to you that you have an, a sick congregation. It's unhealthy. That is a sign of a sick congregation. And I don't mean sick as in disgusting. I mean an unhealthy congregation. If somebody was coming to CMC and they saw that David was speaking and not me and they left, you're not doing me any favors, honey, because I'm nothing special. And if you are coming only when David speaks, or, so what that tells me is you are here for a person. You do not love the community. And I and, and honestly, it that tells me right then and there that you don't really love the synagogue, yeah. and you're not here for the community, and you're here because you want to hear a person speak, and that is not what what synagogue life's all about. Yep. And yeah. I yeah. And, and I see people do that; they become fanboys and fangirls of these pastors and these rabbis. And let's just say the quiet part out loud: these senior pastors and these rabbis. They like it because when I told you what I told that rabbi, his response was, they love me. And I'm like, see, you like it. That's the problem. That's why you're not making – and it's killing your congregation from the inside out. One of my happiest days as a rabbi, honestly, was about two years into Rabbi Jonathan being the assistant. Um, A Saturday morning service, and after service, I I was speaking somewhere else, and I called. I said, how'd service go? And we had a larger attendance that Saturday than normal. And and I was like, finally. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, even when we brought him in, and and for a while, if I wasn't going to be there, people would, oh, Rabbi's not going to be there. Or we wouldn't tell people we weren't, I wasn't going to be there, so... But but it, it's got to the point. And one of the things we did, and I know people have a, a get trippy about titles and stuff, but one of the first things we did when Rabbi Jonathan came, and then he married 
uh, Rebbitz and Catherine was I told them, I said, Rabbi Jonathan, whenever you refer to your wife from the Bema, whenever you talk about her, Rebbitz and Catherine, I want you to, to get it into mm-hmm. the minds of the people here. She's not just Catherine. She's not just one of the, you're not just Jonathan, one of the, you are the assistant rabbi. You are important to this congregation. You're not, it's not celebrity. It's role. It's function. It's responsibility. It's, it's a calling that God put on your life. And we need to get people to understand that you have a position uh, and again, it, uh, it's not about celebrity. No. It's, it's about them understanding you are the assistant rabbi. Your right. wife is the assistant rebbitzin, and you have a role and a function for yeah. accountability for their souls that yeah, you've and, taken. And this is a strong statement, but I mean it. If you are a person, it's a strong statement, but sometimes we need to say these things. And I'll say the quiet part out loud. If you are a person that shows up to, to your synagogue and you love God and you love your synagogue, and you show up, and because the senior rabbi isn't speaking, you grab your stuff and leave, shame on you. Shame on you. That's wrong. Yeah, absolutely. That is bad behavior, and I question how much you love your community, but, if that's what you're doing. But Pammy and I rejoiced that week when Jonathan spoke. When we weren't there, we were away teaching somewhere else, and we got the report. And from other people, man, we had a great congregation. We had a bunch of visitors. We had a bunch of people, everybody— and and we need to understand, and this is something it's hard for people to understand, but it's important, is that um, you can afford to do these things. Uh, I get so tired when I hear leaders tell me um, it's so hard to get young people to come to synagogue. It's not. Mm-hmm. If you're faithful to God and you do things his way and, and it's not about you, it's about him, and you are— uh, we and and we've been blessed. There, there's no doubt God has fulfilled His promises within our community. But we hired people to do things because we wanted them to be done with excellence, with intentionality, with purpose. And God provides to meet the needs. If you step, I'm not saying blind faith where you step out on a limb and then cut the limb off from the tree. Right. I'm talking about if, if if you want your congregation to grow, if you want a good youth program, then you bring in somebody good for your youth program and you bless them and you provide for them. If you want a children's program, hire somebody and don't pay them pittance because they're in ministry. But give them a, a reasonable salary for what they're doing, the investment that they're doing. God will bless you. If, if you want your congregation to grow higher and as a, a, an administrator and an assistant rabbi and watch God grow your congregation because people are catching the things that you're dropping. All of the balls that you're trying to juggle, suddenly there's someone else to catch and work with. And God will grow your congregation. He will expand your expand your boundaries. All these things will happen. But you have to trust that it can't be about you. It's got to be about his kingdom and stepping out and trusting the people that God raises into those positions. You become somebody that's supervising instead of micromanaging. And a key to that, and I don't mean this to come across sounding accusatory, but the key to that is you've got to trust that your congregation isn't your congregation, it's God's, right? And if God is in control, if God is faithful, if you are faithful to God, things will work, right? What happens a lot of times is a lot of leaders are faithful to themselves, right? They're faithful to their calling, they're faithful to what they think, and they won't do these other things and the reality is that some of these other things like raising up a future, like intentionally investing in the areas that need to be invested in, they're not doing that. And in not doing it, they're not being faithful to their calling. They're not being faithful to God. They're not being faithful to what God wants for that community. Um, and so if if you're bringing people in and you're afraid, like you know, like I said, I've heard the statement time and time again, all you young people want to do is just take it from us, take our pulpit from I don't want to do that. I never wanted to do that. 
I wanted nothing to do. And it wasn't an accusation of me directly, but it was like this whitewashed broad statement of my generation. And, and we never wanted that. You know, Rabbi Eric uses the analogy all the time of a, uh, a relay race. And that in a relay race, when you go to pass off the baton, there's a brief period of time where both runners are holding the baton at the same time, right? The, the runner that's, uh, currently active isn't like, you know, trying to, to, to toss the, the baton behind him as he flies by the, the relay, uh, person. He's, he's not like going by and just lobbing it at them. It's not, you know, he's not halfway down the, the, the lane from him, throwing it ahead of him as hard as he can and hoping it catches it. The, there, there's a perfect practice time in which they're, and it's practiced over and over and over and over again so that it is smooth and efficient in the handoff of that baton. And there's a period of time where both have to be holding the baton paced together, running at, in lockstep together at the same pace, at the same rate of speed, at the same everything. And if any piece of that puzzle is not efficiently prepared and practiced, it all falls apart and that baton hits the deck and it's all over. And you costed yourself, your team, valuable time. But when you are repeatedly practicing time and time and time again, when you're putting the investment into it, one of the things that I've learned from Rabbi Eric over the years, and, and look, he's my father. There's a, he, what is it, 31 things I wish somebody had taught me uh, before when a ministry or whatever. When he released that book, people would ask me, oh, did you read your dad's book? I was like, heck no, I didn't. Well, why not? Because I'm probably half of those things. Like the, the book is probably mostly me in there, and turns out a lot of it is me. But aside from that, like it's like I lived it. I'm his kid. I lived all of that stuff. All of the things that like, that didn't go well, I experienced them firsthand, and so on. But the 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 reality is, is one of the things I've learned from him is the value of investing in the congregation, right? That, uh, you know, he talked about it a moment ago, like you bring on an admin and what you realize is all the things that you weren't able to do, right? You bring on another person in the staff and the next thing, um, I think it's, um, oh shoot, I can't remember his name. There's a, a, a pastor consulting guy out there that will tell you flat out, a single individual leader can only lead a community to about 100 to 150 people effectively. <laughs> Right, uh, and that's the limitation because you can only effectively handle so much. But for every new person that you add paid staff into that ministry, for every new person that you add into that ministry, you have increased the ability for that congregation to grow by at least a hundred to one hundred and fifty people every single time. And it's not because that new person means that there's more hands that can be touched, more hearts that can be blessed, more. But it's because you've got less and less falling through the cracks. You've got less and less that are falling in the wayside. You're able to invest invest in the important things across the board, not just in what is directly in front of your purview. You know, when you're a senior leader by yourself running a congregation, nine times out of 10, you're in survival mode. You're not in growth mode. You're not in planning mode. You're not in future or prophetic mode or what you're in survival mode. But the moment you bring in even one person to the team, but the moment you start adding to the team, you're not surviving anymore. You're now thriving. And Messianic Judaism is supposed to be thriving. Our congregation should be thriving, unfortunately. And this all kind of calzos back to where we were at the very beginning. Unfortunately, the Messianic Jewish movement today, and as we close out 2023 in a couple of days, right now the Messianic Jewish movement, in, in my humble opinion, take it or leave it, I don't see the Messianic Jewish movement thriving at the moment. Not that it can't be, not that it hasn't grown, not that it isn't doing great things, but because in order to thrive, you have to actually have a future, not just hope for and pray for a future. You have to have already planned for that future. Now, and it's not just us planning in the human sense, but following what God's leading. And unfortunately, I would venture to say that 75 to 85% of the Messianic Jewish synagogues, and, and I'm only speaking of the U.S. right now. 75 to 85% of Messianic synagogues in the U.S. in the next 10 to 15 years, 20 years max, will have no leadership over them because their rabbis are, are all going to be forced to retire due to health or uh, whatever else, or they're going to be dying off, God forbid, but it's the reality they're going to be dying. A number of them are already stepping away from ministry because of their health and so on and so forth. During you know, 2020, 2021, we lost a bunch of rabbis. Uh, that died in, in different scenarios, COVID and, and, and other health crises and so on. Um, we have a wake up call and we just aren't responding. 
And in some degrees we are, but it's not like it should be. And so in my opinion, again, my humble opinion, having grown up in this my entire life, the Messianic Jewish movement is in survival mode right now, not thriving mode. And after, you know, 50, 60 years of you know, what it is, uh, you know, UMJC, the, the MJ has been 100 plus years around. The UMJC was founded in the late 70s. The IMCS as the rabbinic arm, congregational arm of the MJ was was founded in the early 80s um, and then or early to mid 80s. And uh, all the other things have kind of spawned since then over the years. Um but but the reality is that in the the forty plus fifty plus years that the modern congregational messianic movement has existed, um, we haven't been thriving. We've been surviving. We haven't planned for or worked towards a legitimate future. We have talked about a future. We have prayed for a future. We have dwelt on the past, the the Jesus movement, the revival of the 70s, 60s, 70s, early 80s. We've dwelt on that. We've yearned for that to come back around again. We've we've yearned for a future. We've prayed for a future. We've fought for a future, but we've never stirred the present so that a future is existing when the time comes. Yeah, so as we get ready to close out, I want to first acknowledge and thank the leaders my age yep. and older that uh, paved the way, yep. that were the pioneers that went out and, and beat the bushes and did what had to happen to uh, and, and survived. Yep. I am uh, where I am, and, and Rabbi Toby and others are where right. we are because of the road you guys yeah. have paved. And I want to encourage them to, uh, to keep walking, but to also open doors, opportunities for those coming behind them. I also want to encourage those younger that, yes, God has a calling on your life. Yes, you have a purpose in the kingdom. Yes, he's going to raise you up. But uh, acknowledge that uh, training needs to happen, that preparation needs to happen. That runner that we were talking about that's passing, being passed the baton, he didn't just get up one morning and get in line to get the baton. He's been training to do that job and to take that handoff. And Joshua trained for years before he went into that position. And and uh, exercise your faith. Study. Do what you can do. Be prepared. Uh, instant in season, out of season. Be a servant and be there. But but don't give up hope. And keep moving forward because we need you. Uh, I, my generation needs you. We need people to step up that will be uh, warriors to lead, not doing the same things, not walking in the vision that, uh, that we had, so to speak, although continuing the vision, but getting your own vision, getting your own prophecy, getting your own word from God, and moving the Messianic movement forward. Uh, so the next generation can continue on from you. As we close, I just want to read this passage. Um, this is from First Timothy 4, uh, beginning in verse 12. Uh, this is Paul speaking to Timothy. You know, it's part of what we call the pastoral letters or pastoral epistles or what have you, but it's, it's Paul speaking to Timothy, who is kind of his Joshua, if you would. Timothy and Titus and, and a bunch of others are kind of his Joshua. They're the younger generation that he sowed into. Uh, and this is Paul that... You know, picture it being your generation uh, speaking to my generation, the generation after us. Uh, and he says, verse 12 of First uh, Timothy 4, Let no one look down on your youthfulness, but become an example of the faithful in speech, in conduct, in love, in faithfulness, and in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to encouragement, and to teaching. Do not neglect the spiritual gift within you, which was given to you through prophecy with the laying on of hands of the elders. Practice these things. Be absorbed in them so that your progress may be clear to all. Give attention to yourself and your teaching. Persevere in these things, for in doing so, you will save yourself and those who hear you. And so uh, as we close out, I want to encourage as Rabbi Eric was just saying, I want to encourage the younger generations who fill a calling into Messianic Jewish ministry, do exactly what Paul is saying here. Persevere through it all. Push in. Listen to the advice of your elders that are before you, of the, the pioneers that have paved the way. Listen to their heart. Uh, do not let um, you know anything hold you back or, or push you away. And to the the pioneering generation of the Messianic Jewish movement who is still very much here, very much active, who I have learned so much from over the years, um, I, I want to encourage you, it's not too late. 
even if you feel like you've missed the, the, the ball on, on, on raising up a future for your community or future for the movement, uh, or, or you feel like you've been burned time and time again by young people that you tried to raise up into that. Keep pressing in, keep pushing forward because the work that you have done, the road that you've paved, the, the efforts you have pioneered do not need to die to the wayside. Um, there should not be a need after 50 plus years for a, a new generation to have to pioneer all over again. So let's together work to push forward for the purposes of the kingdom of Messiah to have a future and a longevity ahead of us in the Messianic Jewish movement. And if you're a rabbi that has a number of young people in your congregation with giftings and talents and calling on their life, please, please, please. Give them the liberty and the blessing to go and serve somewhere else so they can walk out their calling. Please don't bind them to your congregation just because you're afraid you'll lose that body. Remember that in order for a good tree to grow, the limbs have to be pruned, and every branch that's pruned properly grows too or more new branches off of it. If you want your congregation to grow, allow God to use it to prune and to regraft those people in where they're able to be used, to be mentored, to be trained, and see the movement grow because of your generosity of spirit. Thanks for listening to us. As always, please feel free to drop us a line to comment on the the podcast, wherever you listen to it on our social media. Let us know what you think, uh, and uh, we will see you guys next week. Thank you for listening to the Messy Antics podcast. Make sure to subscribe so you can be notified every time we drop a new episode. And be sure to follow and interact with us on social media at Messy Antics Podcast. <laughs>